Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Welcome to the podcast. Um, so where, where in the world are you? Um, currently in Georgia. I had to think for a second. <laughs> um, currently in Georgia. Um, we've just gone, uh, you'll have to forgive my pronunciation, but we've just, we're like a week ago, we've actually left the capital. So it's a policy. And in fact, we're in Kutaisi. Some of the guys say uh, Kutazi. So I'm not too actually, I'm not actually sure what the exact uh, pronunciation for the city is. I think it's like the third biggest uh, city in Georgia, um, so uh, Eastern Europe side. Um, yeah, and we're currently prepping our way uh, for Saturday to move into uh, Bodromi, which is near one of the mountains where people go snowboarding and skiing and stuff. So prepping for like minus five degrees <laughs> while working. <laughs> yeah, well, look, once, once you go into zero, you know, between minus five and minus 10, it kind of feels the same, just cold. Cold, cold to yeah. your bones. Uh, no, 100%. I mean, like, I think I think the coldest we've been in, it's probably like minus like four, let's say. Um, where are we going to be in uh, uh, Gandhari in Christmas, New Year time? I think on average it's minus seven at the moment and it's down to like minus 15. So that'll be really interesting for us. Um, we've never experienced that, you know, coming from Cape Town, the weather's always kind of actually, other than it's windy, it's like most of the times it's windy or, you know, like, or like sunny or raining, but it's never like, I would say truly rough weather, um, mm. or extremes. I mean, obviously we do get, it does get really hot on the outskirts of, um, Cape Town at least, but, uh, you know, it's not like, I would say like extremes where it's like minus 20, minus 30, things like that, where, you know, your lifestyle changes other than an aircon. Um, so that is uh, going to be interesting for us. <laughs> <laughs> and have you started your morning with a shot of vodka yet or not? Uh, with uh, Chacha. Um, yes, it's called yeah. Chacha in Georgia. Um, oh, I suppose, it's not, I suppose it's, not, it's not really vodka for them, but uh, we have once or twice, sometimes accidentally, um, one or two of the coffees. We can't, you can't um, Google Translate the Georgian language live with obviously with Google Translate, most of the other languages and countries you can, uh, just because they're so specific to or to them. Um, so we've ordered a coffee before, you know, with uh, <laughs> it comes with alcohol um, for a nice morning meeting. But other than that, we have actually tried the chacha in the morning once or twice uh, on a on a trip to the next city uh, with the, the taxi driver stopping off for coffees and showing us that this is what you have to ha- what you have to do what you have to have uh, when you wake up. Yeah, I mean, my, my experience of it has been in Moscow where, where you have a shot in the morning because it's so bloody cold. You just can't get warm no matter what you do. <laughs> no, no, no. It like, gets, um, um, Montenegro as well, they do it. It's not, not even that cold. They, they do it in winter and summer, I think, all the time. It's part of the culture. It's wake up, have a have a, um, have a shot of, I think it's uh, a grappa. Um, yeah. And then your shot of an espresso. We're actually going to um, probably go to be in Russia in, in um the second week in January, um, which we still had to plan out because I think it's <laughs> directly in like some of the coldest times in the in the country. So um, that'll be very interesting for us. 
Which which part of Russia are you going to go to? Um, I think we've we're not going to stay very long, so I think we're only going to be there for two to three weeks. Um, and I, as far as I um understand, our idea is to kind of do uh, Saint Petersburg and Moscow, which I think is pretty mm-hmm. much what everyone does. I'm not too sure. Yeah. Yeah, two to three weeks is quite a long time in Russia. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> well, I mean, if you have to, you have to cater for the fact that we work, you know, get like 100% Monday to Friday. So like the rest of the time is actually inside working. Um, mm. And then Saturdays are mostly our days to explore. So that means we only have like three Saturdays to actually explore and, and some of, you know, three quarters of the Sunday, basically. The rest of the time is actually dedicated to either planning out the week and or picking up work um, most of the time. So you know, the life cycle, the lifestyle is a bit different. So sometimes we would stay a little longer in a country that may not make sense for a person traveling for like maybe like touring or something like that, just because mm. we, burn a lot, we burn a lot of our time working <laughs> and not actually seeing the country. Yeah. Look, you've got to, you've got to see the Kremlin. That is, that is something that um, it's really, really, um, I don't want to say inspiring. That's probably not the right word, but, but uh, <laughs> amazing to see. Uh, and, and I won't be sarcastic about it. It's just, um, it's just different. Um, yeah. And, and, I'll, and, I'll, and I'll let you decide when, once you've seen it. You can tell me what you thought of it. Um, no, definitely. Yeah. So Petersburg, I've never, I've never been to. I still want to get my wife there uh, with the kids. Yeah, I think. Um, but I think um, the architecture is the best one. Yeah, I mean the, the pictures are, are amazing. I just don't know to what extent we're gonna be able to enjoy it. In fact, uh, it, like for the type of like weather that they get during that time, so that's a kind of a bit mm. of a worry I have, I guess. Um, that we're not gonna, we're not probably geared up for it. But I mean, that's not something you can't fix by going to a shop. I and mean, we have a lot of, we have a lot of, let's say, warm clothing because we're in winter in Georgia at the moment. And it, you know, in two weeks or three weeks' time, anyway, when we buy the Kazbeki Mountains, you're 12 kilometers away from the Russian border. But um, I think it is a bit different being there. Um, and largely, I think, yeah, I think one or two things like the Kremlin is definitely something on our list. And then um, I think uh, the girlfriend wants to have or see, have, wants to see uh, um, the Russian ballet. Uh, ballet. Um, so for so birthday during that time that we were there. So I think that's going to be a very different birthday experience. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, we've jumped ahead into what you what you're doing. We maybe we should start with introducing who you are. Um, <laughs> yeah, you ended up. Uh, I normally ask you the question, "What does a digital workspace mean to you?" But I think you can explain more about what remote working means to you. We're I'm well. I'm a CTO and co-founder of the Delta. Um, so we're a corporate venture builder. The interesting conversation of how we guess met was largely related along like the fact that we're pushing heavily into asynchronous and remote work. Um, just during COVID times, we grew within like a year from like you know 25 to around a around 80 to 100 individuals, um, plus minus a few months. And I think a lot of that growth was during like the COVID times and having to do this remotely and learn and re like re relearn and rethink ways of work basically. I hope that's a pretty decent uh, <laughs> intro. No, it's it's a great it's a great intro because that's that's exactly I think. That's when I found you on LinkedIn. You were sort of going on this route of of how you've how you've done this, and and um, as you mentioned, you're, you're with your girlfriend. You're traveling. When we spoke last time, you were I think you were in Cape Town going to Durban, which is not a, not such a big <laughs> trek in comparison no. to SA to Georgia. Yeah, I think uh, we had just come back from uh, like the first six months of this whole. Uh, so I mean, we started like more of like this remote working or hybrid working or yeah, mostly like let's say remote working 
um, probably 18 months, 10, uh, 19 months ago. And March this year is when we left uh, to travel and work remotely, specifically in a weird time, because I think at that time, South Africa was going back into a lockdown, I think, again, again. And we had just made it out, but a lot of the countries were also locked down. So it was quite tough for us to figure out where we would be traveling. And we just decided to do this. We just, you know, we kind of pretty much, as I, as I guess I mentioned in one post that you, you, you probably um, saw, was we basically just sold everything. Our lease was coming to the end. We were tired of working in the flat. We were working 200 hours, 240 hours a month uh, for the last year during the COVID times as we were scaling um, the business. Um, we're sick of seeing the same walls. Um, it was COVID lockdown most of that time. Um, I think people were going through in South Africa at least like many different like bottle stores and different types of closures. So was, I, I suppose it was a lot. There was a lot going on. Um, things were quite hectic for I think the the world and the country. Um, and then as soon as that it kind of opened up, we made this decision to well, if we're going to be working all this time, we might as well be working from a different country as we do this. Um, so yeah, we pretty much packed up everything, sold everything uh, as much as we could. I think we've got a few small things left in a, in a storage locker somewhere in South Africa <laughs> that we still need to deal with. We have no idea what we're going to do with it just yet. So it's too many. Um, yeah, we left. And um, six months later, I guess we had been to like five countries um, already. And then uh, we had come back to yeah, Cape Town and, um, to reset for winter, uh, weirdly enough, because we had traveled through the summertime. Um, for for um, Europe at least, or Eastern Europe, and that's kind of when we had that first conversation. I think. Mm, yeah, it sounds about right. And um, I mean, I, I totally agree with what you're doing. I mean, if I if, if it wasn't so difficult to move the kids around, we would have done something pretty similar. Um, and we did it. I mean, we we're here in South Africa, but we're in South Africa where all well, our family is. So it's not it's it's not the UK where we normally live. But we we're in a house that we rented, you know, that kind of stuff. And we have, we've been here a year now, funny enough. Um, yeah. But, you know, we've made we've made the effort to go and see a lot of South Africa that we wouldn't have seen, you know, if we just came here back for, for a two-week holiday. Because, you know, you don't have the time to, to get down to, to um, you know, wherever it is you need to go. Um, I mean, on those short yeah, I mean, I mean... On that point, uh, same, like our mindset has kind of changed a bit. We were, if you think about it, you're like, you realize you were actually kind of in a rut. I mean, because everything was kind mm. of around you and like it was easy to get to if you wanted to do it, we, we weren't really going out and seeing. We, I mean, we, uh, my like friend group and family and um, Ilka's friend group and family as well, like they are largely people that, you know, go and stay in places and have seen South Africa. Um, you know, we go, we went, we still went away. Um, every few months for a weekend or something like that and try to see different places and go to new places and, you know, see South Africa, but not to the depths of like getting on the red bus or the blue bus and um, other than if it involved wine, <laughs> wine farm t- or wine tasting and wine, and wine farm visiting. Um, you didn't really spend a lot of time with the South African culture, to be honest, um, we're kind of outsiders in a weird way. Um, mm. And now having traveled to this, to these countries and like the first thing, um, I would say not forced to do, but something my, my girlfriend loves doing the first day we get here. Um, and it's always terrible because like when we travel, it's mostly 24 hours to get here. It's like, you know, 11, 12 hour flights to 16 hour flights sometimes, depending on where we're going, which takes a lot of toll in between, you know, uh, on weekends when you're working on the Monday already. Um, and what we do is we go to like these, like there's free walking tours. And what that does is kind of give you a really big oversight into the culture and the country and, um, the just like nuances to stuff as well in a very informal um like 
let's say, way. And from there, we start to like focus down on a lot of the cultural aspects as well, which is something I probably wouldn't be as interested in and don't really do technically in like South Africa either. Now going back with such a little time as well, you start to switch realizing, you know, you've been kind of lazy to experience what, you know, South Africa may also have to offer and slightly maybe ignorant about it. Yeah, you're spot on. I mean, and, and the reason why I sort of know a little bit about Bosco, for, for example, is every time I go somewhere new, I go for a run in the morning, sort of five, six in the morning, just when the sun's coming up and, and sort of explore the hotel or whatever's around it just to see stuff. Because, you you know, when you're working, you just kind of, as you say, go into the rut of, you know, eat, eat sleep, work, maybe go yeah. to dinner or something. And you might go out for dinner. But then usually dinner is somewhere, um, depending on how you've been hosted, it's normally the best scenario, like the best place they would take you or you're not necessarily seeing stuff yeah. you wouldn't have seen. So, Out of your comfort zone. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I remember doing the trip to um, to Saudi and I was in, I think I was in Riyadh and the guys took me for a, a traditional lunch and it was so it was so weird and, and awesome at the same time because, you know, they don't sit on chairs and tables, they sit on the floor, you know, the food yeah. is brought in pots on the ground, you're using your fingers <laughs> to eat. Um, obviously, things you wouldn't be doing right now during COVID, but it was just a, it was just a cool experience. And and, I, and it was because I said to them, I'm so sick and tired of you guys taking me to Wendy's or to um, <laughs> TJF or whatever it is, to Amer- American restaurants and not yeah, like, Saudi traditional food. And uh, that's also like another thing that I've had to like, I, I suppose, um, get become more flexible and get out of my comfort zone is I've got a very, very small tight comfort zone when it comes to like food and like the cultural aspects of not the, yeah, not the cultural aspects, but like types of food and things like that. So I'm a pretty fussy eater, I guess. Um, and now over the last while I've been forced to one because of just accessing certain types of food, but also like trying to get out of our, out of our way and out of our mindsets and like experience the local food and the local cuisines and like the ways, the culture. And like we would always go to, try stuff in like let's say more structured environments like you mentioned like on tours where it's like a bit more comfortable mm. uh, and i think two things have helped a lot like like especially in georgia we've got like friends also from south africa um they're the, the couples also here and they um i mean they're kind of pretty much immigrating in a way weird way to georgia and we've got to spend some time with them as well and again it's in like a bit lit, like informal environment getting closer to like the individuals around around you we started spending more time again this was another thing i guess we were traveling with covid so there was a lot of that we couldn't do and we we'll have to go back to some of the countries like turkey and stuff when we were traveling and it was locked down for everyone so you couldn't really experience a lot of the culture you could only see the sites and do the touristy things but um so that's kind of something we missed out on on one or two countries like ukraine as well but as we've really really enjoyed it now in georgia because it's a bit I guess a, l- a little bit less hectic and you know every, like vaccinated and stuff like that, so you're slightly less on guard, I guess. Um, mm. And we've really got to just enjoy the informal environment and how it would be um, um, from their cultural v- viewpoints, which has been which has been awesome, really. And you learn a lot. You learn a lot at every single place, and you also learn that you know like and everyone knows this, I guess, but like you you're always ignorant about it, which is it's not always green on every side. Like everyone's like, oh, I mean, South Africa's oh, it's terrible. We should leave. <laughs> every single country we've been to in the last like seven months or whatever has had political issues. Had a lot. I mean, I suppose we've traveled to a few Soviet based you know Soviet based countries, but like um, it's all post Soviet eras. Um, but like they've all got corruption, they've all got issues, they've all got access, mm. you know, like uh, 
had access to. Like, I think we've bought water for the last seven months because the locals have told us not to drink the water, even though they've got like access to the best springs in the, the country almost. But like the pipes and the systems just don't work well. So like, even though, <laughs> even though the Western, you know, like European countries and there's like different types of infrastructure that we really like and the stuff that we don't like, there's always this comparison to like how comfortable we are with like the access to what South Africa has, or at least what Cape Town has. Um, so that's also made us really, you know, appreciate where we stay as well. Yeah, it's it's funny because that's the exact conversation I have with friends of mine here when they say, oh, it's so much better outside of South Africa. I'm like, yeah, it's not. It's not. You know, you could look at any country in the world and find a riot, protest, some corruption, you know, or some problem that you think is worse than, than where you are right now. And it's and the reality is we're all going through, every country's going through its own stuff at the moment. Um, yeah. How, how, how do you handle things like your 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 connectivity, like your internet, your phones? I mean, are you still using your South African stuff or you switch to like, <laughs> Google Voice or something? So, so this, this, this actually switches over to um, like, becoming more of what I would, I, I guess, like six, six months in or five months in, we kind of rebranded our thoughts of where we, like where we managed, like our way that we were communicating what we were doing into more of like a nomadic lifestyle. Like lifestyle. And the, the time we did that was initially we were doing remote work, which the whole company was doing. We were working remotely. We were working in the, like the South African time zones. Everyone, most of the company works from Joburg and Cape Town. And we've got like one or two, three, two, three, we had, sorry, we had one or two or three people in like Europe or the UK, which was working on South African uh, time zone. And um, during this, during that, you know, from March last year, the switchover started to happen of like really driving as we scale to about 80, we, we, uh, you start to feel like the rigidity of certain things, like, uh, not the rigidity, I guess, but you can feel rigidity within the system that you've built to date. And you can feel that stuff needs to start changing and you start to, you know, like evaluate and audit a lot what, what needs to change in order for you guys to get like for your company and you guys to get to the next step. And to link this back to what you asked me, largely, um, we started working on these remote processes. We became more nomadic. Um, and what I mean by nomadic is like we finally switched over to the realization that when you're out of the country after two or three months, things start to change, right? So like if you're going to plan on doing this, at that point in time, we didn't know we were going to do this for longer. We actually just were going to go for a few months and see how, <laughs> see what it is and see what if it works. But because it started working and really, like, really, really started enjoying what we were doing, um, we started switching over stuff that needed to be switched over. Some of the stuff we have done completely and some of it we haven't done just yet. An example being like connectivity, like we don't really use and or closed off our you know our local cell phone numbers. I think mine is still running just so that I can keep my number for now. But um, we like close those off. And in every country we go to, we actually, the first thing we do as we get off the, uh, we've learned this twice now. So the first thing we do, <laughs> even if it's expensive, well, the first thing we do is buy some card. There are other options. There's like um, eSIMs and there's SIMs that you can like get that work in like 165 countries or whatever. But to be honest, in Eastern Europe, at least the internet is so cheap. It's like ridiculous. You can get, I think we have an unlimited SIM card right now. We're in the country for like two months or three months. We're in the, uh, two months. Uh, we're in the, yeah, unlimited SIM card costs as, it costs like 30 uh, Georgian Glory, um, which is times like five um, for South African Rand. So it costs you between like 100 to 250, 300 Rand for unlimited data. Obviously, there's certain data limits of streaming this, like to download, but mm. for work, for like remote working, it's perfect. And there's 4G, and I think there will be 5G at some point. So, and every country's been like this. I think 
Montenegro, it was like 150 rand for 500 gigs at full speed. So like every country access that we've been to, at least we first do a lot of research on access to internet. And that's kind of what that's at the moment, the main criteria of us going there um, and obviously getting in from a visa or passport thing. So that's a, a secondary thing, but primarily we um, focus on internet um, connectivity. We ask every single Airbnb for speed tests <laughs> and it's only caught ourselves <laughs> once, I think. So like we're, we're very like obsessive over like internet access because that is the primary uh, for that. At the moment here in Georgia, I think in the city that I am right now, this is probably the worst it's been. It's like 25 megs, which is workable. It's okay. Um, it's not the most amazing. And it's like, we've got a sim, we've got like three SIM cards, one for a wireless mo- modem that we bring and take with us um, always just because, you know, say the network or the router doesn't work at the Airbnb we're at, we're at, we can't really stop things. And then we have SIM cards basically. And most of the times it's been fine. We've had relatively no issue other than the two weeks that we entered Turkey and they had lockdown for non-tourists. So the entire country was in lockdown and all shops were closed other than supermarkets and SIM cards were non-essential. So for two weeks, we, we had to use the Wi-Fi from the hotel and it was the worst in the world. So other than mm. that, we've been okay. We've been okay. <laughs> yeah. And the problem with using the, the hotel Wi-Fi is that it's obviously not secured. So now you add a VPN on top of that and that just makes your performance even, even worse. Not even, I mean, not even just that. I mean, we are like you have MDM, like MDM, like MDM uh, software. So you have like device management software with like antivirus, and then you have a VPN on top of that so that you're secure. Um, and it all adds to like the bandwidth um, capabilities of what you're doing. And then you have these video calls, and you're trying to make either like you're doing interviews or sales or managing a team. And it's really awkward to manage a team of like you know 60 people if you have like all hands or whatever, and they're struggling to hear what you and you're trying to make a, like a you know a serious point or like a real point or whatever um so it's definitely you know like the key requirement to this whole thing and this whole system working because yeah, uh, so i've got a, a vodacom a vodafone sim card which gives me 160 countries i think global roaming so so my fallback is usually that and that that works out pretty well and it's kind of in the price range that you're saying maybe a little bit more expensive but i'm probably paying about 40 quid a month so that's what's that times about 20 800 rand so, so it's a little bit more expensive than what you're saying, but then I don't worry about carrying a, a phone with me, a, a, another device with me as, you know, as a norm. But I do grab the local SIM often because there's, you know, some benefit to having a local SIM phoning people and, and that sort of thing to book a, book a dinner or something like that. Yeah, and I, I think I think uh, the main point, I, I guess that the one thing I have to stress is, I mean, the viewpoint I'm saying right now is limited to like the fact that we've been really focusing for the first duration of our trip in the Balkan areas and like, the, you know, the Eastern Europe side. And um, when we were like in Italy and like um, France and like UK, our SIM cards from South Africa worked and obviously there's roaming and whatever, but like like access to internet wasn't really an issue um, because there is like, what do you call it, integration between these and you can actually use your SIM card stuff. Mm. Whereas MTN does not work in like pretty much most of the bulk. Oh, now I, was an M- I have an MTN SIM card. Uh, so it pretty much yeah. just doesn't, doesn't work in most of the, most of the countries we've been in, uh, in this Balkan space. So I guess it's, yeah, it's limited. So don't take, don't take anything I'm saying too hard fully as if it's a global fact. But um, the one thing I am hoping is like, the nomadic type of structure. I mean, the biggest problems is like internet, like uh, visas and passports and like digital passports and nomadic, uh, like nomadic uh, um, insurance. The one other topic I, I guess I can tell you is we actually removed or closed our insurance, um, health insurance, just because again, 
after two to three months, it only covers you for two to three months of being out of the country. So if you like, start staying out of the country mm. for longer than that, um, it's not valid anymore. So there's actually this really cool um, nomadic um, health insurance company that we are registered to now. So now we don't have to worry. We can travel pretty much in most countries, I think 80, 90% of the countries, and we're covered, which is pretty awesome. So a lot of the stuff, and it's actually cheaper than our local health insurance, to be honest. <laughs> so we've had to like change over a lot of things as we've gone in order to save, uh, to kind of sustain this. The last thing is like tax residency, um, which is something I'm working on currently. Yeah. So, so which um, providers do you use out of interest? Your health insurance. You, you now put me on the spot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll grab it while we're talking. So let's let's carry on to the next question. I'll it's, grab it. It's, it's 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 not an advert for them at all. I'm just curious because we we ended up we looked at a, a few safety safety wing. One. I think yeah. safety wing. Yes. Yeah, you gave me for yeah. a second. They just put me on the spot. So safety wing, and then, um, like again, friends, a, f- a few friends have been uh been nomadic longer than I have, and they've been traveling the world like insanely while working. And they they were the ones who passed this one on to us. Um, that you know seems to be exactly what we need. Yeah, we tried safety wings, but they didn't have any more space on their medical, so we ended up with Cigna. Um, yeah. and and that works out roughly the same as what I was paying Discovery here. Um. I think it was about hundred pounds difference per month, okay. but still, still vastly cheaper than what I'm, what I would have been paying for the equivalent in the UK. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not too sure of like the stats of the UK though, but like I do mm. know, like if I compare it to my Discovery insurance, um, it is, it is roughly the same price for, uh, and I think you get more because I mean, in the end, it's just like a number basically, and they cover you for like five million dollars, which if yeah. you're in most countries other than the US, it's enough for what you know for any major you know, things that may occur. So, um, so I think, I think it's relatively okay and you're a bit more comfortable. Um, but yeah, like a lot changed, like, like I said, like all this, like, like, you know, normal uh, insurance as well. We had to deal with our insurance. We had to get special insurance from South Africa that allows us to cover some of our devices because we're out of the country most of the time and normal insurance doesn't work for that. So there's a lot of small, like nuances mm. to actually being nomadic. And like I mentioned, the biggest one now is tax um and how to deal with that because for the next three years we're probably not going to be in our country for more than two months at, at max um so it's like what do you do do you now leave it and just pay south african tax or do you you know not pay south african tax and start to make changes um do you potentially um immigrate to another country um specifically i don't know from your side we are south african citizens and we only have south african passports and that's another you know pain point for us truly being nomadic and being able to get into other countries um so visas is a big thing for us to be able to um you know travel yes i can't answer you on the, on the tax front uh, all i can say is that that uh, I, I pay tax in both countries at the moment because that's just, that's the and then I, what, what i do is i pay it in and i try and claim it back at the end when i do my assessments um based on how many days in and out of the country um so that's that's the only other thing I could tell you. Uh, and then on the other thing, what was the other thing? Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> you, was, you mentioned something about, it was after the tax, you said something else. Oh, the insurances. Um, so device insurance is a bit of a pain because like all my insurances are in the UK, but they won't cover me for like a broken phone here. But if I lose my phone, that's cover me for that. Yeah. And because we were planning to go back in February, I haven't cancelled anything, um, and I haven't fixed anything because I thought, well, I'll just fix it when I get back in, in February. But now that's looking like it might be March. 
Um, so now I'm debating, well, I'll just go fix the phone and then just take the hit. Um, whereas my insurance would have covered it. Yeah. Now I'm going to take the hit. So, so, I mean, like, those are the things that, you know, like show up in, well, like show up while you do these things. And like, also like if you're, what's really, really nice. And I suppose a lot of other people would be affected by this is like, if you're normally doing this and like you have to change your flights and stuff, and there's like a lot of penalties behind that, all these cancellations, or there's a COVID risk or something that happens at unforeseen events, you normally have to like take the hit. Or if you had um, normal insurance or um, travel, free and travel insurance, basically most of the, like the premium banks like offer, they would cover mm. these things. Um, whereas now, like we're so lucky that like the, the like the airlines that we use and stuff like that have these COVID policies because it's been a COVID time, and we're wondering now like when they're not, how is this going to work? Because then you're going to have to add another level of like, I mean, it, it depends on how much you're traveling and whatever, but and how uh, ahead of time you're planning um, and at risk you are. But like you know, you, you still have another thing where you may at times have to cancel something and take the hit of a of a um, a plane ticket or something like that. So you never really. You, you, you're not ne- never well we're not 100 percent sure what it's going to look like post-covid i guess um on, on what else we have to actually deal with if we continue this well i mean we've, we've seen that we, we you know with the stupidity that the uk government's been through recently um you know, people that are, <laughs> people that are coming on holiday and, and gone wherever in africa on holiday to like there was these guys i mean it's all over the news on their honeymoon and while they were away you know, this 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 flight la- flight ban has come in. Now they now they're sitting with a situation where they've spent X number of pounds on a holiday, and now they have to spend X, X more number of pounds on on quarantine that they hadn't planned for. That's been imposed imposed on them. You know, when the government told them they could go away, you know, now they've been told they have to quarantine in a, in a hotel. Um, so there's those there's those costs, and most travel insurances won't cover that anymore. They would have covered it before, but if you're traveling during a pandemic, they won't cover it. Yeah, so I mean, like like I said, there's there's so many nuances, and like like as we've been doing this, and if I link this back to like like the thinking of Delta and like being a venture builder and you know focusing on building ventures, the one thing that keeps circling our mind, because of your girlfriend and I, is like. Like, are we going to take down a lot of these things and sort of figure out how do we solve these for like nomads, people that are traveling and working remotely? Because I think like the future of this are, is flexibility. It is like being able to move around um, in different areas of the world, um, experiencing different cuisines, experiencing different people, which have been amazing, by the way. Like we've we've been so surprised by some people we've met over the last, you know, countries and I, like Montenegro, Ukraine. Um, Turkey, um, North Macedonia, really weird country. But um, you know, uh, we've been to like Italy and France and um, Greece, and like like we're in Georgia now, and we're going to Russia. And at every point in time, mostly other than the French, we've had really friendly, <laughs> really friendly experiences <laughs> and really amazing experiences. Um, we'll give the we'll give the French another try at some point. But like, yeah, like people have been amazing. Uh, I think the future of us is going to be like that. I think as we become more flexible in the ways of work. Um, co- companies have, are pushing this. Like one of my biggest inspirations is like GitLabs, and the reason I, t- I learn, I try to read a lot of their stuff and learn from their stuff because we like a lot, they've figured out a bunch of stuff ahead of time that we haven't figured out yet as we're scaling as a company. Um, and they're doing so amazing when it comes to like truly fully remote, where you know the entire operation runs globally remotely. Um, and provide the flexibility to their teams to to work from wherever and kind of fit into the schedules that make sense for them, which 
we saw during COVID times, people like pushed into working more because they didn't have to work, drive those two hours. So it's not like they repositioned those two hours to go watch um, movies or whatever. They actually ended up spending more of that time with the stuff that they really enjoy or the tasks that they really enjoyed within our ecosystem, um, which even shows to like, or just proves the point of why having flexibility and systems that allow that, it's not an easy thing to do, but like having systems that allow that um, kind of, make uh, it makes so much sense for a company um and yeah it's again again proven of what we've been doing to date so so talk to me about about your working days i mean as you move time zones and and, and that i mean how do you handle the sort of synchronous work and the asynchronous work <laughs> um i would like to i would i wish i could say very well but uh it's it's been it's been quite quite an uphill battle um sometimes the, I guess one of the most interesting things I can say to date is um, we got to Georgia and for the first time in my life, it's plus four, um, so we're like two hours ahead of South Africa. Uh, for the first time in my life, I've struggled to actually get out of um, out of the South African time zone. <laughs> um, so, so no matter what we've tried, we're we're still waking up at t- like like eight nine in Georgia time, which is like you know. Um, six, seven by South Africa's time. And we're really, our work days would have normally been around eight onwards. Um, it's quite late at night sometimes in uh, in South Africa. And we've been working basically in the South African times and this, the, for this specific area. Luckily, the Georgian culture, and I think that's the reason why we're struggling to do this, is because the Georgian culture, they only open up their shops at 10 anyway, which is eight in our country, which is kind of when we open. So weirdly enough, um, for this specific case, it actually works out specifically when we're done with like what we're doing, you know, um, or, or whatever, whatever work we're doing, whatever meetings. Um, but let me let me just get back to the point. So we've been to, we haven't been out of crazy time zones just yet. Next year will be like our biggest time zone. We will be will be like you know four hours ahead of South Africa, and we haven't really pushed for that just yet because our, I don't think our company was mature enough. Not from a system perspective to be able to to manage um, that variation of, um, let's say, leadership working in different time zones. As we're scaling, and I guess this is something that's like, uh, as a, as a, I guess, caveat or, uh, or something just like a <laughs> disclaimer. Um, I mean, we are, I'm like, you know, a leader in the company, I'm a co-founder. So like my obligations and accountability is very different to someone just normally working for the company. So that means that I do put in a lot of extra time because it, it matters to me. It's something I love doing, one, but also it's my responsibility to make things, make sure things are going right from the area that I focus on in, in Delta. Um, so just that as a disclaimer, it does mean that my work days are largely quite filled and, you know, sometimes 10 to 14 hours a day type of things or more potentially sometimes when things are, are hectic. Um, but to get back to this, like, asynchronous and the time zone stuff, um, to date, over the few countries, it's been relatively easy because we've been an hour or two ahead um, ahead of the times. It's really made no difference, to be honest. The only thing is, like, when we hit the cut time zone, there's a few things on a checklist that you have to, like, reset, which, for example, I use Candly to manage any bookings that come into my into my calendar, regard, regard, <laughs> regardless, regardless of who it is, whether it's external and or internal. Obviously, our internal systems we use G Suite, so everyone can see. But there's been small changes I've made to like the system month by month. So, for example, um, G Suite calendar, so Google Calendar, I have they allow you to set up two different time zones on the left of when you're looking for what t- 
time it is when you're slotting a, a time. So I'll have my current time zone. I'll have the I'll have the head office time zone. So that's South African time zone. That helps me kind of streamline finding time between South Africa and you know where I am right now in my time zone. I often to date have varied to stay within the time zone, their times or South Africans' time zone. Um, but that doesn't mean our clients aren't around the world and are in different time zones and ahead or below uh, behind us. Um, so again, what you laughed about with Canada, I got to the first country and was an hour out or two hours out. I can't remember exactly what, what it was, but, um, I was just not getting bookings for certain timeframes. And that was because Candley was playing havoc with my calendar itself being in two different time zones and the settings are, because you can set a whole bunch of different, like, um, complexities behind like what type of booking, whether it's an interview for 15 minutes screening calls or whether it's a, an external meeting in it, uh, or a client meeting, I send different links to different people um, and they have different places of when I've chosen time in my diary that you can meet with me. And some of those, I landed up having no one for two weeks interview with me and I couldn't figure out why no one wanted to chat with me. Um, and then that was largely because the calendar, Canada was still on the South African base and I could, just couldn't find anything that wasn't a clash. Um, so there is some tools behind it. There's some um, changes that have to happen across what you're doing. Um, and ultimately, ultimately, um, depending on that, the team working times, because we've become, when before, when it was purely just, let's say, fully remote, but nine to five, as an example, and everyone was kind of super committed to working nine to five, aka, you know, post certain times, that's kind of when they would stop accepting meetings and say sorry you know this is uh, i've got supper or whatever as we progress over the last few months um we've gotten better systems better ways acclimatized to like working asynchronously and to that it has also changed my diary quite a lot in the fact that time zones become less of an issue it's more about uh, compromising when certain people and systems are working so uh, probably a better way to explain this is some leadership work whenever something is needed aka their time slot is open so if i have a meeting with the ceo and it's at 10 o'clock at night with me and it's 8 p.m there it doesn't really matter if it's 12 p.m at night with me and it's something important and it's 10 p.m there it doesn't really matter we'll have a meeting um depending on its you know urgency and whether it can't be the next day and it's in a better time frame if you're not tired or whatever well i might have worked um my my schedule would have been quite different. So I might be working from 10 a.m. to you know 12 12 p.m. or whatever one day, or and working from a different time on my, for example, Wednesdays. I might sleep in a bit or wake up earlier. Um, so you start to change the cycle of when you're working, and you start to reprogram how you manage your calendar and when, and using the tools that like different systems provide you to set slots on when uh, one-on-ones can happen, when when um, interviews can happen, and then making sure that you're also not too rigid so that you can have flexibility in in that in um, the system and allowing you know changes to that so you know if like something really can't work you're not going to be like sorry no i've worked from nine to five or nine to five today so i can't have your meeting so that coupled with the team starting to change when they work there's a bunch of people in engineering and we all know that a lot of engineers wake up late so most of my team effectively wake up at the times that i'm pretty productive which is from like nine south african time onwards right nine to ten <laughs> and then they work till late so it actually it actually starts to work out uh, in a weird way, um, depending on who you're working with, depending on the fo- like the, the, the focus group. Um, so the time zones start to blur away in a bit, if that makes sense at all. Uh, um, complete could be complete uh, nonsense. I'm telling you, but um, largely because stuff becomes more asynchronous and people focus try to focus less on meetings and prep earlier earlier beforehand, send me messages, and if you can't figure out 
how to deal with something through messages and videos and stuff like that in your own time, then you have like meetings. And obviously there's certain things of asynchronous that you kind of need to have a meeting. And it's like, so you're, so what I kind of do at the moment, which probably, again, there's probably many different algorithms to optimize this, which I just really haven't had the time to think about it fully, but I anchor my, my work days around call meetings that have to happen, which may be client-based ones, or maybe my, my, my top three important things that I need to focus on in a week. And then my calendar is anchored around that. And then I'll slot in other stuff on the like the timeframes that I think are more effective for me to work on. And then also just be very serious about when to block out certain time. Like I, I think I went for two, three weeks without taking lunch um, and, or even a pee break basically, <laughs> because it's just next meeting, next meeting, next meeting, because people had to chat to me. I needed my time or whatever. Um, and then you start ahead of time, start to book, book out focus points. And then we've also added something recently that um, uh, someone very close to us in the, in the team is uh, kind of, passed on which is something called clockwise and if all the, t- the entire team are using it it starts to try move meetings around asynchronously across all your different calendars and block out lunch times and block out like focus times so that you can get work done properly which is something really cool so i think we're going to take that concept and potentially rebuild it for ourselves as delta and scale it so that it's one a data not a data privacy risk for us but two um, we can modify it to understand more context in our systems and a dumb example is this calendar clockwise doesn't understand which meeting may be more important from a client meeting, but the way that de- uh, Delta approaches problems, um, we have a lot of data and like we, we take a lot of notes and tag a lot of things from risk scorecards and stuff like that inside our internal systems, which means we have access and information about what is re- really important. And if you think about it, if you tie your calendar up to that, your calendar can be a bit more smarter about when you should be doing certain mm. things. So we're, we, we, take, we do take a very let's say, I guess, programmatic approach to like how to solve a lot of these problems and try to relook at them um, rather than just using the tool that was given to you by Google or the tool that was given to you by whatever, like a time zone. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things you've said that, that, that I can resonate with. So, um, you know, because I'm two hours ahead of the UK, but I've got guys in India, guys in the UK, guys in the US, um, my day tends to be, you know, fairly, fairly long. Um so what I do is the same thing. I've got, I've got certain meetings that are anchor meetings. So it's, you know, daily stand-ups for the, for the morning and the night, for example. Um, and then I kind of work a day of two shifts where I've got, you know, the, the focus of the Indian and UK in the morning and they've got the focus of the US in the evenings. And then I fit my life in the middle. So I've called that sort of integrated working. Um, <laughs> and, then I, and, and, then I've, and then I've blocked out, you know, slots where I go to gym or take my wife to the doctor or whatever the whatever's been yeah. happening the last couple of weeks. Um and then also time to pick the kids up, do the dinner with them and that sort of stuff. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, my day isn't driven just by by meetings, but I've almost t- and this is a productivity thing, you time block specific tasks and specific activities into your diary. So your diary always looks full and which is a problem because people want to book a meeting with you like, oh I can't find any space in your diary. But that's almost the right <laughs> behavior. Because yeah. you need to you need to you need to make sure that when someone wants to book time in your diary, they're not just ramming stuff in because they want to just talk to you for fifteen minutes when they could you know use a, a an instant messenger or a, or an email yeah. for the right reasons so, before I mean, you have that, that, you, that call. You, you use the real word, which I probably wobbled around explaining how I've done it versus just saying productivity management, which is really what it is. Um, the difference is like there is like depth to that. And what you learn from it. An example being, I don't go to stand-ups anymore. I used to go to, when we had like 10 ventures running, we could go to stand-ups like as leadership. 
And like you need a lot of you need to know what's going on in those ten. Let's assume it's only ten projects that are generating revenue for your company. You need to know what's going on in those projects. Best way to find out what's going on is going to startups, right? Um, mm. But that works for a company that works for a ninety-five company. That works for a company that's hybrid or whatever. It doesn't really work. And you can argue that okay, cool. But if you document what's in the standup, you'll have be able to read the notes and know what's going on. Yes. But why do you like? And other and you can also debate like oh cool, but having the standup is a sort of part of culture and whatever. But like. The way I've approached it recently is we have like a bot that manages standups across the company. So everyone is streaming information of what they're doing and any problems and how they're feeling um, daily, basically. Um, and then what we do from that is like the standups only happen in those teams if they want to have synchronous standups or meetings there. So you don't actually have any standup meetings unless the team wants to have that. And at that point in time, they'll just talk about the main items that they can't read from the actual bot notes that get sent to everyone and everyone has access to um, and um, can discuss certain things. And we'd rather use that time to spend building uh, relationships and or cultural aspects and or solving someone's problem. So you start to redefine just like, what you used to do just because a certain methodology tells you you have to have a stand-up and this does a certain it's done in a certain way so we started to migrate like migrate a lot of that into a different type of approach access to the information from any time so when you, because like you're using those words and you're like saying what you're doing and what you, what's blocking you can build tools that like pick up on the blockers and like highlight the blockers to to lead like leadership which means you don't have to stress about not being in the meetings or reading certain stuff because the ones that the risk-based ones can show up and if you do want to stop by and understand what's going on in the project you could just read the um central like let's say the central logging for what is happening in the team so that starts to like design like feedback loops and we do that for like stand-ups we do that for feedback so like if anyone has it we like continuously ask and remind for feedback but also have a way for you just to do it at that given point in time of when you need to give feedback you've just experienced something ryan has like spoken to me really badly and could have handled something better and then i'll be able to like write up feedback for it and like send it to him or set up time to, to discuss the feedback so you'd say like feedback ryan um, da, 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 keep the notes, set up a meeting for us ten, with 10 minutes each somewhere in your diaries that makes sense and you'll have a conversation about that feedback and how to improve from both sides. So like we try and we're, we're getting to the feedback part of that like system I just told you about but it's stuff we've been thinking about at scale because like I said 10, 10 projects easy as a leader to be part of that. If you have 10 leaders and you have 100 ventures which is what our plan is and our goal and we're not very far off from this a lot of the original thinking all that say the copy paste stuff from the internet like doesn't work so okay do stand-ups in this way it doesn't work for you and um it also doesn't build the tools that help your leaders manage their teams and or like lead their teams not manage their teams um so like that's one and that, i'm just like linking it back along that one flow but fundamentally that produces a lot of like that, that takes 10 stand-ups away from all of your calendar right and you only mm -hmm. go and check in on the stuff that matters. Then also the time zone, if you think about it, because we have different time zones, we'd have stand-ups across basically four or five different countries. So four to I'm lucky we're not at US, like focusing on the US like you have to. That's um a different that's a different <laughs> it's a different conversation. Um, but for for at least for our space, we like the rest of it kind of makes sense. It's okay, and people are working in different time zones. People you you have access to like their profiles and information if something's urgent. And then the next thing there is. We, I pre-plan appointment blocks now. So I understand really why like the appointment things make sense. So ahead of time, I have non-negotiable focus time, but if it's urgent, there's like a so operating like way that everyone knows like, okay, cool. They'll still put the meeting in front of another meeting I have. And like, I will know it's important and I'll move it around to when I can actually make it or whatever. Um, but then also making time 
there's one other thing we have to like you kind of have to focus on in this type of process is actually still making because your calendar is so pre-planned and it's super booked all the time um and I think I shared a post on this as well, explaining to people like, oh, look how crazy my calendar was before COVID. And the, the funny thing to this is my calendar will look slightly similar, aka still fully booked <laughs> um, post learning all these things, because like you mentioned, you're pre-booking things. But the main thing I think I also learned from that is what happens is the rest of the team don't try to make meetings with you and try to solve things because they're worried that you don't have the time because you're so busy with your calendar. So then also being very strategic and very smart about like how that perception and that perspective can be like um, portrayed within the rest of the team. So then there's like, I use the appointment based calendar item on Google suite to open up space for like urgent conversations with the team or urgent conversations with clients potentially, but mostly these are focused on the team because the team comes first or I'll, you know, employees come first. So like that at least allows us space for people to reach out and they know I will prioritize this time or they know that like, they're not going to feel bad because it's like, I've got my calendar so full and I'm so busy. And I think that's a very important po uh, point, I guess. Yeah. Look at, I mean, it all comes down to communication. Um, yeah. And, and you know, <laughs> you know, we have our, as I say, we've got our two daily standups uh, on our side and those are relatively quick. But it gives the guys time to do whatever they need to do. And, and in that meeting, if there's a need to have a conversation about something, you know, you keep the stand up pretty quick. But then you say, okay, fine, we'll talk about that after this meeting because I've got the time to do it. Because I kind of, I kind of work a day of two shifts. So I've got, if it's stand ups in the morning, then I kind of allocate an hour and a half after that for whatever follows up out of that meeting um, to make sure they've got what they need to carry on. Uh, and that seems to work quite well. But I guess it also depends on on, on the guys you're working with and, and and the kind of work they're doing. Yeah, uh, like, like like these things are very like heavily context based and like also like you mentioned like it's communication. But like the thing that breaks down at like scaling from like you know twenty to like a hundred to like a thousand like ten like a thousand or whatever is literally the thing that becomes more complex and exponential is communication. And that's the thing that we're mm. trying to like solve is that we don't want to feel at a hundred or two hundred or three hundred four hundred whatever we don't want to feel like a corporate. We don't want to feel slow. We don't want to feel like it takes you have to jump through all these loops. I want to make sure that we're still like, you know, five people in the room launching a startup. Um, and that's like, things are guidelines, but push you to innovate and, uh, you know, um, let's say push for context and think from like a first principle thinking. It's like literally our values are about like understanding the the facts behind the system and why it was set and how you could potentially use that to your benefit um, to do what you need to do within the space. And when you have a company that wants to build 100 ventures, um, and that could potentially mean like three, 400 people at minimum, and you know, five, like you know, 100 teams, 100 systems, um, 100 like product managers trying to do opportunity selection, validate, value, uh, like uh, value um, proposition and validation, um, aka venture validation, um, and then you know, massive teams building these things, but also keeping talent around you as a business and not just feeling like you're a cog in the, you know, a cog in the system. There's like mm -hmm. a lot of things that like you have to like keep in mind while 
changing this over. And and to be honest, for me, I, I and I like I do appreciate like the stand-ups in the morning and the afternoon of the two shifts. I think it's a really cool way to split the, the thing. I just honestly like for my like so my side for our business, I would never see how that like is a scalable mechanic um, for at least you know for our focused area um, with people around the world and. Um, and a number of sure amount of like stuff that is happening in one venture times like 10 times 100. And that's kind of like where this whole, I suppose this is where this all started on um, speaking up a bit more about like remote leadership and ways of work and, you know, passing on things that like reading up on like a whole bunch of different companies handbooks, basically. And I was like, well, shit, we need a handbook because we need to effectively communicate. Like you mentioned, 100% down to communication. I was like, why don't you know these things? These 20 new people joined engineering and they're like, oh, is this the way you do things? Like when it, when it made a mistake happened. I was like, yes, like here's the piece of, like this is the, pe- like, the piece of paper um, here that says what we do. They're like, I had no idea this existed. Okay, shit, let's, like, let's, let's solve remote onboarding. Um, here's these videos, here's these tutorials, here's these courses. This is ways that we know you went through the tutorials and the courses so that you understand the business. Also, we don't want to spend five weeks, five months onboarding you because the business is honestly not that big enough to spend all that time to onboard something as basic as, you know, like that. Um, so like we, like all of the stuff just started to like fall in place on realizing how much we had to do to be a remote company, not have copy pasted what we were doing physically and made it virtual and said, hey, cool guys, we're remote now. So I think, yeah, that's definitely one of the biggest learning curves that we, um, um, I can, well, yeah, it's the biggest lessons we've learned basically to date. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned something about a central log or something. Is that, is that something you're using like Slack for or something like that where, where guys are doing the updates? It's a com- yeah, so it's a combination. So it's like it's like a Slack. It's like a Slack with a bot. You can like look at something like Geekbot or like Dailybot or whatever. So it's Slack and a bot, and then we push the information into a data warehouse that we have, and we have an internal tool that like has access to that um, from a, like a leadership side of things and all teams. Um, and basically, what it does is the bot facilitates the asynchronous communication of when you open up your Slack account. So it doesn't really care. It's not at nine o'clock in the morning when you open up your account. It will ask you for your update for the day. So like when you start working basically which is awesome and if you like just woke up and you check something it will you can say like pause for an hour and it will come back and ask you if you have out of office on your calendar it won't ask you and bother you so like it knows when you are and what that does is it also tests engagement so like what we do is we ask for your stand-up notes and we also ask how you're feeling from a certain like factor and that all gets tied in and we can monitor engagement with the team we can monitor health we can potentially start telling like and this all gets streamed into our system against like the timelines and how the timelines are looking and that also t- ties into we stream all our git and jira stuff to this data warehouse and we built a lot internal system that allows us to tie this all up and we can actually start i mean not all of it's 100 percent just yet but we can start to pull all these data points together and basically draw a map of figuring out which teams are running effectively from a people-centric side of things and from a project management side of things and potentially from an engagement side because if people aren't engaging as much there's obviously something that may be be wrong and we need to go have a conversation or we need to understand what's going on Um, if the project is delayed and your um, health checks are low you know that the team is uh, getting to like maybe potentially a burnout state and you need to jump in and look after them and and and, um, do something about it as leadership and these are all really important things uh, for teams at scale, but also specifically because of stuff during COVID time where life is hard for everyone mm. and it's harder now because of that. And this is where all of this stuff came from and like why it is so important to us. One, to look after everyone that like, you know, looks after the company by doing their job and, you know, and being super passionate about the stuff, but also to make sure that we, we design systems that allow us to do this at a much, much larger scale. 
Yeah, no, it's 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 become so important to understand employee wellness and and also to to I mean, there's that phrase go where your customers are. It's, it's go where your users are in this case. Um, you know, having mundane meetings. I mean, I, I I've I've definitely found that I no longer look forward to well, I never look forward to a long meeting, but but I like a short meeting <laughs> that's quick to to the point. You know, fifteen minutes, thirty minutes. But I, I like guys using systems. that like we use a, a tool called Notion, which is it's yes. just a, a useful tool. Um, you know, guys use a board. I can, you know, if I miss a meeting, I can go look at the board. I see what's going on. Um, I get notified, you know, you know, by email and by by Notion itself that something's happened. And you know, the guys get get their get their time to do work like they're supposed to be doing their brain work, not doing sort of the corporate, you know, um, fire drill to put together a PowerPoint slide. To update the status on the project. Um, you know, yeah, you don't need to do that. You know, no, like hundred percent. Like I, like geez, like I felt it. Like every three months, I feel like meeting fatigue. Where I wake up and I look at my calendar and go, like, do I really have to go to all these meetings today? Like I just really, really don't want to. Um, and mm. with all frustrations and irritations and this, like, it's like people are so bad. Like incubators and like accelerators. Are, I'm using a, a long, long ago example of how I felt. Um, are really like, like I don't know. They're really bad for like the startup market because often they're linked to like digital agencies that are just interested in service-based work and getting your cash. They're not interested in like, is the feature that is being built going to solve the value proposition or your customer and help the startup grow? Because in early phase, it's all about your customer. It's all about getting acquisitions, right? Um, and mm. that's what really frustrated us. And that led up to conversations with like Louis, the CEO, and led up to conversations with Alex. And this is where like parts of like, you know, my involvement of Delta began because I was <laughs> having beers with them and, you know, steaming about a, a previous venture and like why things why are these things like so bad and why we can't be, be like why we can't do better and be better why can't we build ventures better and i found people that had felt the same way and we're like why can't mm. we build ventures in, in, eight, in eight weeks and why can't they be fully launched and running with customers in three months and or even shorter than that um why can't they be more effective and efficient why can't we launch more of them and have more chances to make it successful um and all of this stuff came like again a frustration came Adults, you know, and the growth of like what at least my contribution of why I wanted to contribute to something like this came from that frustration. And again, kind of cycle back to now where we are right now, you know, 140 people later and like have launched like 30 ventures and we have, you know, 70 in the pipeline. We are uh, the next stage is like realizing those frustrations of meetings and working and having flexibility of working when it suits you versus waking up at, you know, seven or nine or driving to work and, um, the only thing that's happened is COVID has accelerated this this um, this feeling, um, and having a company and culture and people that are super talented and super passionate about innovating and taking on and growing. So a super big growth, basically massive growth mindset in our company, um, and fundamental of <laughs> fundamental of the company. But all of this ties down for you to want to be better, you, you for you to want to make the better decisions for the people that work for you, so that they can grow even quicker. Um, that they can learn faster, that they can be passionate about what they do. So like it all like I guess slowly iterates back into what we're trying to do and what we're trying to achieve. And um, I suppose in the next six months or year, there'll be something else that I'll be irritated by and fuming about and trying to fix <laughs> potentially, hopefully. Um, so when I'm done with the asynchronous thing, which I think is probably still going to take me a long time uh, to get to get right, and I think it's super iterative and progressive. I mean, we've only just started the approach. We're nowhere near something where how GitLab runs, as an example again of 
something in a company I think that does really well. No, it's. It, I mean, you're on a great journey, and I think it's something that um, I think we're all aspiring to to get onto because um, there's definitely productivity gains by letting people get on with it as adults. Um, yeah. Um, to, to the to the best way possible. Uh, is there anything else you want to close off on? Any way that people get, I mean, get hold of you or or something like that? I mean, um, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I guess my I, you can just drop a link, I guess, of my my LinkedIn to, into the channel. But it is Jared Wesner, um, and I am still kind of posting stuff uh, recently, trying to um, get better at um, communicating things that we learn. I just believe that like the tech leadership, especially from a CTO slash a technical aspect in South Africa seem to kind of really keep knowledge together in their own spaces. And I know there's a lot of groups and a lot of meetups that are trying to share that, but I do feel that we can do more in the community. Um, and basically, yeah, I do a lot of posting there nowadays when I say a lot, <laughs> once every two weeks a week, <laughs> but it's, it's a lot for me. Um, so definitely go check that out potentially if you want to have chats with me. And I'm always keen to further conversations and learn. And I actually wish people would engage with me more on this so I could figure out what I'm like you know the thing like get feedback on why something i thinking is potentially wrong or a better way to approach it that'll be amazing um so yeah i suppose i close up for that and if you're looking at you know partnering with building ventures i mean definitely come have a chat at least with the delta sounds great have you had any uh, issues calling yourselves a delta with a delta variant running around <laughs> Honestly, I thought we would, but no, I don't think I don't think everyone is as paranoid and stuff like that. So I don't think we like we had a you know like a Corona branding issue at all. Um, maybe we started being found on uh, on Google better now. I don't know, but no, nothing nothing's blocked us <laughs> from that aspect. No. Um, luckily, oh, that's good. That's that's good to hear. Cool. Um, yeah, but yeah, man, I appreciate the, the conversation. Same. Oh, pleasure, pleasure. Thank you for your time. Have a, have a good week. We'll keep in touch. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.